just coming off the bench, selected here, not selected there. But again, as a player, what are you going to do about it? You know, and I chose to just keep grafting first one in, last one out kind of mentality. Hello and welcome to the Pro Rugby Pod. I'm your host, Brian Moylet. I'm a former Irish international age grade player. And each week I chat with a player, a coach or a person involved at the top end of the game to hear about their story, get their insights and find out what life is like in professional rugby. On Instagram, I'm the off-field rugby coach. That's at off-field rugby. Please follow me there and let me know any thoughts or feedback you have for the pod. Please subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. And also, please share the pod with some friends. Those simple actions have a big impact and are really, really appreciated. Today, I chat with Michael Baska, who has been playing in Major League Rugby in the States for the past few seasons. And this year was capped by the Eagles, winning his first caps in the summer against Ireland and England. And more recently, he played against the All Blacks in Washington, D.C. We chat about that and what got him to that point. I coached Basca in Lindenwood University in 2016, and he's the hardest working player that I've ever coached. I didn't select him in that team then, and he was 22 years old, which a lot of people would think is quite old to be kind of not making it. But we chat about his mindset and how he has used setbacks to fuel the fire and drive him on. He has consistently been overlooked by coaches and teams, and it's some story how he's become an international player. He talks about how he never played underage rugby for the USA and his first rep team of note that he made was the US Eagles senior team. He talks about how he set his sights on becoming an Eagle in 2011, shortly after he started playing rugby in high school, and how 10 years later he finally achieved that. His mindset, work ethic and determination is incredible and there's so much players can learn from this chat. I certainly wish myself that I'd heard Baska talk when I was a lot younger. So here's episode number 16 with Michael Baska. I'm here with USA Eagle Michael Baska. Baska, how are you keeping? Good to have you on. I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me. How you doing? Yeah, keeping well. So um, last game against the All Blacks in DC a couple of weeks ago. How was that? Oh, it was good, man. Um, definitely a, a great experience. Obviously, the... Uh, the scoreboard wasn't what we wanted and we know it's not good enough but overall it was awesome experience playing the all blacks but man we know we, we know we're better than we know we're better than we played so um yeah it's a fun time but at the end of the day we got to be better yeah yeah how have you found being in camp being with the eagles yeah i got in this past summer and played england and ireland you're a, you're a home country, so uh, yeah. we, play, we play the big Irish boys. And, uh, yeah, I've been, I was them, with them for two weeks during the summer, returned to MLR, and then I was with the Eagles for about two months for the Rugby World Cup qualifiers, and then we had our last match versus, versus the All Blacks. So yeah, it's, it's been good to be in, in, in the camp and with the squad. It's definitely been a dream come true, but, yeah, it's been top-notch rugby, and I've enjoyed the, the quality of play and the, the high level. and uh top tier uh, uh kind of camp so it's, it was good yeah awesome how long have you wanted to be involved well i guess since 2011 when i went to my head coach's house and he had a bunch of rugby jerseys international jerseys on the wall so uh, once i saw those i was kind of hooked and knew the eagles was the benchmark and i've always wanted to play for them so it was pretty much a dream come true to play them and it was nice to play uh the irish boys <laughs> as yeah, well yeah. so that's yeah, and so was that back in KC in 2011? Yeah, yeah, back in Oval Park, Kansas. Yeah, where my my hometown. I was playing, started playing in 2011 in high school, so I was a sophomore. And then, uh, yeah, as soon as I saw those jerseys and knew that there's an international stage, I knew right then and there that's what I wanted to wanted to aspire to be. So nice, it was good. Nice. So how was growing up in Kansas? Like, what other sports did you play or? How was that? I would imagine it's a lot like Ireland, pretty uh, the middle of Ireland, like landlocked, um, uh, small town, um, not much to do, but um, so like your classic American suburbs. I kind of out of a movie, 
uh, I played football, baseball, basketball, and then I stopped playing basketball as a sophomore and started playing rugby. Our football coach was the rugby coach as well, so he kind of recruited all the football players to come and play. Nice. Yeah, I remember when we met, you were saying uh, about Kansas, like, yeah, no one knows anything about Kansas. Just the Chiefs are there and Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> How many times have been told you're not in Kansas anymore? I, I would be a rich man if I got a dime for every time someone told me that. Yeah, yeah. And um, why did you, did you just decide to give rugby a crack? Like, did the coach just say, hey, we want to come out? And you just said, yeah, why not? Yeah, I said I would come out and play. I didn't go to the first practice and he actually rang my house phone. My, my parents answered, told me it was the coach. I answered the phone. He was like, hey, you said you were going to come out. You're going to come out. Like, what's the deal? I said, oh, yeah, I'll come. I'll come. And then my parents were like, if you made him a promise, you have to go. So I went to the next practice and pretty much fell in love right away. It was like a new environment, way different from American football. Not so much like in your face, a lot of freedom to make your own decisions. I got to play offense and defense. So you got to attack. You also got to tackle. And the coaches like is big on the environment and the culture. And he's an ex eagle, so he he installed all the uh, he installed like a good culture within the team. And that's what I really liked more than more than the sport at first. I just liked how the people interacted on the team. Yeah, nice. What position did you start out with? inside center as a soaking wet like 140 pounds <laughs> like sophomore a few crash balls yeah I, I quickly learned the, the sunnyville pass kind of like yourself and just overused it every play yeah 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 and then what was that play that went viral a couple of years ago do you remember that well i knew you were gonna bring this up um <laughs> i was playing at arkansas state and i had a play where I was coming from right to left around around the edge and we had a wing coming on a switch and I just went behind the back like this and kept running, gave it to him on the inside and he scored. I, I, I reckon I was just watching too many YouTube videos of like <laughs> cool skills videos. And I was like, oh, I'll give this one a crack. And luckily I didn't get absolutely demolished with my hands behind my back. So. <laughs> yeah, nice. So that was in Arc State. So what, you played in high school for a couple of years, what, sophomore, so three years in high school and then and then went to university. Yeah, I went to Arkansas State. Uh, my sister was there on a volleyball scholarship and she told me that they had a good rugby team and uh, they just happened to be at the national championship for college rugby when I was at nationals for high school. So I watched their game and was like, oh, okay, I want to go there. Spent three years there and then transferred to Lindenwood and spent two years there and met, met you at Lindenwood. Go Lions. Yeah. And uh, did you get a scholarship to go to Arc State? Yeah. So they do in-state scholarships. I definitely wasn't getting a uh, educational academic. Uh, academic scholarship. Yeah. Definitely not. Uh, definitely not on my board. But yeah. So we got in-state. But in-state was pretty cheap. And then when I transferred to Lindenwood, I got a scholarship for there that was even cheaper. I was basically going to school for, not for free, but I mean, almost. It was very inexpensive and made it an easy transition from Lindenwood to Arkansas State. Easy decision, closer to home, um, a really good program, and extremely cheap school. So Yeah, yeah. What did you do in school? Studied sports much. management. Yeah, <laughs> not much. Just played rugby and enjoy, enjoyed my time being a student athlete. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, how was uh, Arc State? Like, how was uh, stepping up from high school to kind of university rugby? Like, I gather high school is probably pretty basic, was it? Yeah, basic. Just everyone in a like, basically, all damn near a straight line, and you run straight and you catch and pass, and then. When I got to Arkansas State, there's a lot of South Africans there from Gray College uh, that had moved over after they were done with their high school in South Africa that came to Arkansas State. So there's an immediate influx of international kids. And just first day, you realize you're way behind the ball. Like, uh, I pretty much was in awe the first day, first few days. So you either sink or swim and just the level was way higher than anything I could have imagined. So 
it was a it was a good transition. I think I came in at the right time at Arkansas State with all of those older players there that had set the standard of being in the national championship for college rugby. And uh, yeah, they pretty much set the standard right away day one. Like, hey, you're from Kansas playing high school rugby. This is this is a different standard. Yeah. And did you know that that standard existed? Like, so you're probably a pretty decent high school player in America. And then did you know, I suppose you probably did, but like going there that you'd be so out of your depth? Uh, I, no, I really wasn't that good in high school, to be honest. Like, oh, I yeah. never played high school Americans. I never played, like, I played on a local all-star team. But, I mean, if you go, you make the team. Like, you go to practice, you make the team. So uh, I really wasn't that good. But when I went there, um, I didn't know the standard would be that high, especially for college college players. I was like kind of in, in the deep water, per se. I, I didn't know they'd be so good. But again, I, I'm glad I went there because immediately I had to, I had to increase my skills from day one to the end of the week. If I wasn't improving, then I wouldn't have made like our sevens team. If you didn't make the sevens team as a back, um, you, you miss out on a whole semester of uh, of playing because it was sevens in the fall, fifteens in the spring. Yeah, and did you just decide there and then, like when you got in and everyone was so far ahead of you, did you just decide I got to work hard versus being daunted and scared of how out of your depth you are? Yeah, yeah, definitely working hard. There was me. We had a good incoming class of freshmen that I came in with. And uh, Zinzan Elampatek, he plays for Austin, uh, the Gil Gilgronies. So um, yeah, we had a f- we have a few other MLR guys, but we had a good class, and I think we all just kind of came together and was like, all right, we're gonna make a, s- a statement here, and we're all just gonna kind of prove our wealth and kind of prove ourselves to the older guys, like Connor Cook, who plays for Atlanta, um, Zach Mizell, he used to play for Austin. There was a number of guys that we wanted to prove ourselves to, so. Yeah. And you did you win a couple of sevens national championships there? Yeah, we won my freshman year and we won my sophomore year. Nice. And then why the move to Lindwell come about? Uh, so my third, I guess my junior year, I had a summer in Kansas City. I was playing summer sevens and there was five other Lindenwood guys that were, we all lived in the same house and they basically just recruited me to go to Lindenwood. And I had three different coaches each year at Arkansas State. And uh, I wanted to make a transition. I knew if I wanted to reach my full potential as an athlete that I would need to make a transition and have a change of scenery and go to a program like Lindenwood that had had a steady coach and a steady um funding by the school and you know they're fully backed in every single way that you can imagine so i knew that if i wanted to reach my full potential that would be the change i needed to make and and for my education i wasn't exceeding in school so a fresh fresh change uh was what i needed yeah and was it difficult you say there are three coaches in three years like how was that it was good i actually had five different coaches uh for the five years I went to college. So I had a new coach every year. Um, and looking back on it, it was tough, but I think as a player, I learned that like every single person, no matter like who you meet has something to give, something to offer. I think if I would have had one coach throughout all those years, you're just getting one person's opinion, one person's knowledge, one person's way of doing things. I think as a young player who's going through a transition from like you're saying high school rugby in kansas to college rugby and wanting to succeed beyond that it was kind of the perfect way to way to go about it obviously it isn't ideal but looking back on it i've learned so much from each person and everything was so different in how they operated the team and individuals and their coaching styles and it was just a good a good way for me to learn a lot of information in such a short amount of time. That's really interesting. Yeah. I remember as well, like you were such a sponge when I met you, like you'd always be asking, like always asking questions. And like, even we'd be in the gym and you'd be like asking questions about rugby and how things are done in Ireland. And were you always like that? Just wanting more and more information to learn. 
Yeah, I think my first year at Arkansas State, they called me Carl the Carl car salesman because I just wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> I just wanted like I just was so curious at how everything worked outside of little small Kansas. There's no diversity. Like when I met someone with an accent for the first time, I was like, "Oh my word!" Like, you're you're yeah. from South Africa. Like, what is it like down there? Like. And I think I've just, yeah, been a sponge and taking in all the information is kind of important as a player and as a person, especially someone who wants to get out of my comfort zone on like on the regular. So, yeah, yeah. that's unreal. And uh, were you always like that? Like, did you always want to learn more and kind of broaden your horizons? Yeah, yeah, for the most part, I mean. I think it's, like I said, it's important as a player to want to learn more, but uh, just as a person, I think it's also important to like learn about other people, especially people who are your teammates. Like it's, it's important to learn who they are, learn their backgrounds, learn their information. I think being in a team environment is probably one of the most unique environments you could be in. You learn there's so many different backgrounds, ethnicities, the way people grow up, where people are from. Like, there's not very many uh, environments where you can surround yourself with people that have such different, like, different ways of of life. And so, yeah, I've just been very interested about how they live, what's their what's their life like, and you know, what's their culture like, because. I mean, like I said, little, little small Kansas, there's, there's not much diversity. Everyone's kind of from Kansas, stays in Kansas. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I'm pretty similar. I'm from the West of Ireland. It's like, and then you move to Dublin and you start seeing like, you know, different people. And then when I moved to America, the same as well, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you were a fish out of water, but you had the accent when you came to America. So everybody wants to know where you're from, what you're doing there. So yeah. People want to you're talk to you. popular. Yeah, that's true for a bit um you weren't the car salesman you were you were the car <laughs> yeah yeah i was the car and then so how did you find like lindenwood and being in university was did you always when you were in university think i want to get to a next level or were you just enjoying it what was that like i was just enjoying rugby i aspired to be an all-american and that was kind of the pinnacle of rugby for me at the time and let's 2017 i started hearing about mlr and it was my final year of at lindenwood so my final year uh, i really really buckled down and said all right is this what i want to do with my with my future um i had a conversation with my dad and he was like listen if this is really what you want to do you need to take this seriously you're going to get an education you're going to finish your education but if what rugby is what you want to do after what are you going to do to make that dream come true and i think from then on it was pretty much my sights set on on playing in the mlr and not so much just having fun and going through lindenwood and enjoying my time and having a couple beers with the boys it was it was really buckling down and making a dream come true of being a professional rugby player that's great advice from your dad so from that point on you just everything was focused on getting you to there yes yeah basically i I mean obviously i still had fun i still enjoyed my college college time had beers with the boys and and hung out but I, i would say for the most part i was very very concentrated on my on my rugby i wasn't going out and having beers as as much as i was in the previous years but i i was i was very much dialed in and knew that knew what it took to get a contract as someone who wasn't in all high school american wasn't a college all american uh, didn't have really all the acclimates or an insane cv like or a sane highlight tape like i wasn't the best collegiate player either so i just knew i i would have to improve drastically like i knew at the beginning when i went to arkansas state like oh there's going to be another jump and i need to close that gap yeah and have a good senior season 
Yeah. And did you never doubt yourself? So like in Lindenwood, you like uh, how bad a coach was I, but you weren't really in the team. Like you're on the bench a lot and <laughs> I'm getting better now, Bass. But yeah, back then probably wasn't, it wasn't great. But uh, but yeah, like, no, there was good nines there as well. Like we had a really good team. I chat to Feeks about this. Like he was on the bench back then and it was like the team was pretty stacked. But so you were 22 kind of towards the end of Lindenwood, not really making the Lindenwood team. And as you say, you didn't have all those other things as well. So did you not kind of doubt yourself that you will be capable of getting into the MLR? No, I wouldn't necessarily doubt myself. I think I knew I was good enough to play, um, but I think that drove me to become a better player. Like not making a roster was probably extremely motivating. The most motivating thing is making the MLR, playing for the Eagles, all those long-term goals, but, I think with more than anything, it was not making those rosters, those short-term goals. Like, listen, I need to make this roster this weekend so that the long-term goals will come into play. And I think that really motivated me to put my head down and, you know, go to work outside of practice. Cause I mean, just, just practicing at practice obviously isn't good enough, you know, to be the best or to make those rosters you, I had to be practicing like, quite a bit of hours outside of practice yeah so when you had a setback like not making a team you saw it as motivation versus I certainly in the past would have got disappointed and been like oh I'm shit and let my head drop for a period too long a period of time whereas you were just like all right I'm gonna prove them wrong yeah yeah obviously you can I think everyone's disappointed when they don't make rosters but at the end of the day what are you gonna do about it if you're the best player you're gonna play like Everyone knows who the best players are. And if the coach has any doubt in his mind, you're not the best player. Maybe, you know, you're not going to play. And I think everyone who plays the game inspires to be undoubtedly the best player on the field. And if you are, then you're going to play. There there won't be any question. And so that's what I want to be. I didn't want there to be any question. I just want to be the best. And if I am the best, I'm going to get picked. That's a great point. And it's like, even now that I coach so many like players complain about not being in the team, but like as a coach, you want to win and you pick the best players that you think, and maybe the coach is somewhat wrong, but what you're kind of saying there is you got to just take it out of the coach's hands because if you're clearly the best, they're going to pick you. Yeah. yeah. And like you're saying, every coach wants to win, but at the end of the day, if you're the man and and you come up and you rock up every single day and everybody looks at you like he's unreal, he's a great player, they have no choice but to pick you. But again, as a player, there's disappointment when you don't get picked. So what are you going to do about it? Yeah. What, are you going to sulk or are you going you gonna to grab? Yeah, 100%. I wish I learned that a lot younger. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. um, so like, yeah, I remember. You used to get up at like, what, five thirty six and get a gym session in and you'd be doing your agility, doing everything. Like, you you had a savage work ethic that last year. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, but again, I think it's from not making the rosters. Like, it's not getting picked. But yeah, I, I really did, I really take pride in, in working hard. Yeah, and then how did the move to NOLA come about? The move to NOLA started when the MLR was in its or at the beginning when they were trying to put together a league and Kansas City was actually in this talks about being one of the first teams and they didn't end up being a part of the initial teams for the inaugural season of MLR and through my connections in Kansas City I got put in touch with um NOLA and through Lindenwood as well I got put in touch with with NOLA um, Ryan Fitzgerald was our general manager still talk to him like on a monthly basis to this day he's he's a great guy he, you know he'll give the shirt off his back for you and um, yeah after I was done at uh, Lindenwood I graduated in December of 2017 I went straight down to NOLA that next day car packed full of my and my wife's clothes dying, you know, yeah. and um, yeah, all of, basically our whole lives we moved it down in, in, in the car. And the next day I was in my home in, in Nola and spent a good two years there. Nice. And um, how was that 
negotiating so like you were finishing up um college and you were thinking you were going to go to KC to your hometown and then that didn't happen and then was it were you kind of worried like trying to get a team trying to get yourself a contract no I had a little bit of leeway time between when Kansas City said they weren't going to join and when NOLA when I started speaking to NOLA um, I had a little bit of time before I graduated so I basically just wanted to be in the league and I told them hey I'll play whatever position you want I'll play you know I'll play as much time as you need me I just want to be a part of the team and looking back I, re- I wish I would have gone about it a different way because as a coach like yourself I'm sure you well, I know you want to hear someone say I play nine I'm going to be your nine and this is what I'm going to do to help the team improve instead of me saying I'll do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do anything. Just take me, like you know, like food yeah. for the poor. You know, yeah. like, I should have been more assertive, and um, I should have taken on, uh, been more confident with myself and more confident with my game. I think it would have helped me as a player, and you know, give given me a uh, a better opportunity to give myself a shot at playing halfback instead of getting moved around from wing to fullback to halfback that those first two well first season really yeah it's a catch-22 yeah because like you you want to just show how how you literally do anything to to get this opportunity but then like you say exactly it's like you're then like this kid geez like well, <laughs> you know you know what's he at yeah, yeah, exactly. And you want, as a coach, you want your players to have confidence and yeah. know who they are and know their role. And I'm sure hearing me say, I'll do anything, I'll pick up the cones after practice, yeah. I'll, pick, I'll do anything, you need me there before, after, I'll coach the youth, all these things, they're probably just like, man, are we going to take this guy? Yeah. I don't know. They're probably extremely skeptical, but. Luckily, Ryan Fitzgerald is a is a good guy, and they gave me an opportunity, and forever in debt to them for it. Nice. And so then, Nola, for me, looking on the outside, it kind of looked like it was more of the same kind of from Lindwood. Like you're on the bench, you used to come on, on in different positions, and whenever I'd see you'd come on and do really well, but you didn't really like you scored a couple of great tries coming off the bench. But then for that period, you're kind of still a, a backup guy, weren't you? Yeah, so I was still a backup player um, for my two years there. I, I actually started at fullback my first season, but I I wasn't the best at tackling, so I was basically a matador in the back, just letting people <laughs> just swim through for tries. Um, I can be honest, you know, I, I wasn't the best out the back with tackling, and um, my second year I I moved to scrum half, and I was a reserve scrum half and I basically spent the whole season as as a reserve but again I think it just drove me to to be a better scrum half you know and not playing the first six games of the second season of MLR and finally getting a crack for the second half of the season you know it's it's definitely a motivating factor and pushes you to get better but yeah definitely a similar situation as Lindenwood just coming off the bench selected here not selected there but Again, as a player, what are you going to do about it? You know, and I chose to just keep grafting first one in, last one out kind of mentality. Yeah, unreal. Um, and then did you decide at a certain point that you were going to be a nine? Like, was it before, after that first season or something? Did you decide to have to just pick a position and get better at that position? Yeah, it was the off season of that after the first season. I didn't want to be the matador in the have fullback just yeah. letting people just letting him try so um and i knew i was a scrum half i got brought into nola to be a scrum half and um i knew at that point i'm gonna play scrum half i'm gonna improve my tackling and i'm gonna improve the other areas as a halfback to um take my game to the next level to be a starting starting scrum half in the mlr because that was the next goal so i did everything possible to make that dream come true. So you just worked hard in the off season to put in the extras. Yeah, in 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 during that off season, I 
I worked with our strength conditioning coach. I put on some weight, put on some size, improved on my speed, and uh, yeah, just grafted and grafted at box kicks, box kicks, box kicks, passing, tackling, just the areas that I really needed to work on to be a, a top-tier scrum half and to excel in the league. Nice. And so then why did you leave NOLA after that second year? I would say it's pretty similar to my situation from Arkansas State to Lindenwood. I think a, a fresh, a, you know, a new fresh start for me is what I wanted. And after the two years with NOLA, I loved my time with NOLA. It's still me and my wife's favorite city in the U.S. I still speak to their general manager I, pretty much on a monthly basis. Like we speak all the time and I think as a player, I just wanted a, a fresh start and um, leaving NOLA and going to Utah was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. I was leaving a con I was leaving a contract on the table that was something for sure for wanting to test the waters in the MLR, not knowing if I was going to have a contract and then Utah picking me up. It wasn't that I had a contract for sure in Utah. I was looking at all teams in the MLR, but Utah just happened to be the ones that picked me up pretty much after no one really, really wanted me. It was right before the season Utah picked me up. Um, so I just knew that I wanted a fresh start and I wanted to have a crack somewhere else. And Utah just happened to be the ones that gave me a chance. Nice. And what um, what do you stay in touch with the NOLA GM? Like what, what's, what's he good with or why, why do you stay in touch with him? just he's just a nice guy he'll just ring me and say hey how you doing how's how's diane i think he's just genuinely a a great guy a good friend and um we'll just chat about anything really just how's things going you know there's nothing really specific we talk about or like a uh, an agenda it's just like you know like me or you would chat like hey what's going on yeah yeah. what are you up to how's how's things going it's just uh, he's a good friend of mine and you know I, I like to keep in touch with him yeah good stuff and so then you so you left a contract nola offered you a contract and you said like you knew that you needed a new challenge a new and fresh environment to better yourself and you said you kind of said no to that contract and you were you had no deal and you were just like wanting to get another shot as a kind of a semi backup nine like that's that's a risk yeah, definitely a risk, but it was a risk leaving Arkansas State and going to Lindenwood with them having two nines already. I think it's, I'm someone who thrives in an environment where it's, an, it's a challenge. And I'm not going to lie, there's definitely points in, at a time when I left NOLA not having a contract and playing club rugby for Kansas City where I was sitting there like, okay, no one wants me did I make a mistake? Did I make the wrong choice? And uh, I kind of second guess yourself there for a minute, but you just keep working hard. Hopefully something, someone will pick you up and give you that opportunity. And luckily Utah did because I sent my stuff to most teams in the MLR, pretty much every every team. And everyone had either signed someone or they were, they weren't interested. And yeah, you definitely second guess yourself there for a minute. Like, yeah, (laughs) what what did i do here yeah. so uh but it was it was good uh, it was definitely a, a moment that i learned um not as good as i thought i was because if i was a top tier player i would have been picked up right away yeah so you went then december 19 or november december 19 signed with utah and got their start in nine jersey pretty quickly didn't you yeah so i was there December of 2019 did a preseason and we played five regular season games and I was a backup for the first four games didn't play the first game and then yeah started the started the fifth game versus Seattle who was the reigning back-to-back champs and we got a good, a good win um, right before COVID hit and ended our season and then how was COVID were you training playing uh, what was the story there yeah my wife and I, we moved to France and I was just training here. I was living here for around six, six months. And then I returned to Utah a month before preseason started. And I was with the 
local guys who are training with our coaches. I just knew I needed to come back a month early after all the training I did in the off season. I was really prepared, but I wanted to have that season that was going to propel me to reach my goals, reach my long-term dream of being playing for the Eagles that I've had since 2011. I said, you know, this is the season I can make it happen and I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. So I left France a month, uh, January 3rd, and I was in preseason a month before pretty much most of the guys, other than the local guys, and then we started the season. So you, before January 2021, you had, start. how many games had you started at nine in the MLR? <laughs> I don't know, I probably could count them on one hand. Yeah, and then... and then Maybe two, maybe, maybe yeah, probably... Yeah, probably one hand. Yeah. Yeah. So you had you had started less than five games at nine in professional rugby, and you decided that you were going to become an eagle that year. Yeah, I would say it was a bit ambitious what? of me, a bit. Uh, I, but I mean, again, you just as a player, you gotta have confidence in yourself. And I knew I had the ability. I knew how I had the skill. But the one season in Utah, working with Sean Davies, the former U.S. Eagle nine in the 2019 World Cup. He was our backs coach. I think he installed some great things in me and really improved my game to the point where I said, okay, this is a realistic opportunity I have here if I have a good season with the Utah Warriors. After starting starting one game in 2020, I knew that 2021 would be the season where I can put my stamp on on kind of having the possibility of playing for the Eagles and putting out a good performance in the MLR and really having a crack at winning it. Nice. And how how was it then getting selected? How did that feel? Oh, it was awesome. But I I don't I it didn't really hit me until I was like on the flight to go there just because I knew there was a lot of factors that could play into being chosen and then being dropped because there's a, a a bigger core of players where it's like this is the possible you're in the possible pool of players so you could possibly get chosen then it whittles down slowly but surely as the mlr season goes so that was also a driving factor for me to keep playing better and better and better because there was other nines who were in that possible pool that were in the MLR that we were playing. So it was definitely a driving factor to improve and have have play well and put out a good performance. But, it, yeah, it didn't really hit me till I was on the flight on the way over to England and uh, with the other Utah Warriors guys that were on the Eagles team that I was like, all right, this could, this could be the moment I've been waiting for for. 10 years so yeah awesome and what did sean davies kind of instill in your how did he help you he helped me in a number of ways i think more than anything he just gave me a basically like a textbook of knowledge he didn't physically give me a textbook but like someone who's been in us nine like he just showed me how to play the game and gave me like the wisdom to excel um it wasn't necessarily like one specific thing, but just how to what it takes and what I have to do to be a top tier nine and what the big picture looks like and all the little small things I have to do to meet the big picture. Um, at Utah, we I was we had a good backs coach, but I, it wasn't a nine specific backs coach. Like he's played nine for the US Eagles at, at a World Cup and he basically just gave me a, a path to walk down and for success. So I kind of just took it in stride and walked down the path and he just guided me all the way as I bumped off the fence. <laughs> yeah, no, nice. And um, how how do you like being coached? Like, do you like getting like a lot of fee- like feedback? Like um, you seem like someone who just takes, not takes criticism, but takes correction well. Like, would you like Sean Davis be like, hey, you could have done this, you could have done that, you could have done that. Yeah, yeah. I I love criticism. I think the way we learn as players is through feedback and obtaining information. Um, I like to be driven and have have a challenge, but 
Um, I also like to be coached and developed as well. Um, yeah, but I just don't like any – for me, when I – at the beginning of the season, I just ask the coach to be candid and be honest with me. Like, if I don't do something well, please let me know. But after that, don't let it slip. Like, don't let the standard – you've told me this once already. I should know it, and I should know how to execute it. And if I don't, well, then that's on me that I didn't go and work on that or fix that problem that you've addressed to me because I want to be – a world-class scrum half and I want to set the standard and as a player it helps to have a coach that pushes you to that standard and holds you accountable on like everything not just like not let some things just slip and go by the wayside to be like hey your pass isn't good enough it's behind back shoulder two or three times during this practice you got to improve whatever it may be um yeah, I I thrive on on feedback and not so much criticism because I don't really like the word criticism, but on on just being candid and being honest because I know it's coming from a good place. Yeah, it's class. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's um, it was sometimes talking to Matai Leuta, the USA Sevens uh, player, on this, and he was saying that they did a lot of work on um on this kind of stuff and not taking it personally. So it's like the coach yeah, isn't yeah. having a go at you. He's like, they they want the best for you. And that's something that I find find difficult at times. It's like you're trying, you want the best as player, but it's like you have to give it in a way that you hope that they'll understand. As a coach, when, it, when you're speaking to a player, what is, what are you looking for from your player as far as a way that you know they're receiving the information and, and taking it on, like, yeah, so I I in understanding what you're saying. Yeah, so the first what I think is most important is that the player knows that you care about them. So yeah. like they know that you you care about them and that you want the best for them and that's kind of like an overall thing like that's like every day of every week it's every interaction that you have with them and it it kind of becomes obvious if a coach is like doesn't or has been an asshole or whatever but um so anyway that's the first thing i just i try to make sure that the players all do know that so then when it comes to having a bit of a difficult conversation that they know that i'm not like you know i'm not just saying this try and put them down um, and that's maybe something mm. at the start that when i was less confident as a coach like when i was coaching you guys i was like i had done like under 15s or something before for a couple of years and i knew like <laughs> I don't know. I knew I knew my what I was doing. Like I, I always had a good feel. I had a good rugby IQ, and but maybe I was just too technical. And I'd be like saying, "Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this." And I, it was because I wanted all the players to get better. But I spent less time on, on I don't know. I think I spent less time on making sure that they knew it was from a right, good place. Yeah. Well, I mean, any sort of when everyone's going to one spot, one area, trying to go to one goal, I think any sort of feedback is should be known that it's coming from a good place so that we all we all improve not just not just the individual but the individual is helping the team the team is driving to win the championship or whatever yeah. maybe whatever the goal is but no i was just curious how as a coach you when you speak to players how you know that they're taking in the information and moving forward with it. Cause when I'm a player, when a coach is speaking to me, I look them directly in the eyes and I nod my head. Like it's just something that my parents instilled in me and something that I've always done. And I'm sure as a coach, it, I don't know if it's <laughs> nice to see that or if you're just like, what is this moron? No, it is. And yeah. A yeah and and i try i I always say it i'm like let me know where like i'm not perfect i'm like let me know what your thoughts are and i coach girls now it's a bit different they they're very they're slower to give their opinions and thoughts on things and whereas guys i think will tell you a lot quicker like oh this is shit or oh this is we could do this this better or we should be doing this differently you know um but i always say like hey these these are my thoughts what are your thoughts you know and it's it's an open conversation yeah, uh, I think one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is, especially my first year in, in the MLR, I felt like I was working for someone. 
And now I think I've made the transition that I have an understanding that yes, he's, I have coaches and yes, I have, I have bosses, but at the same time, we're working together. We're both part of the same organization because we all have the same goals. We want to win a championship. We want to put out a good product. We want to develop the game in the U S and all over the world. And I, I think that's helped me as a player as well as understanding that yes, you, I do have coaches and yes, we do have bosses and you, but more than anything, we're working together to reach a common goal. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. And it's a, uh, I think that's the exact thing. Is it might be different in different sports. Like I feel, I don't know, when I watch American football, it looks very much like the coaches, the the boss, the man, and then everyone else is like, yeah. and, and even in America, they're kind of like yes, coach, no coach. Whereas rugby, I I do believe exactly like you say, we're all in it together, and every there's no like hierarchy in like the gm is kind of the boss because he like hires and fires you all but uh you know like within the coaches it's like yeah you're working together exactly yeah i think that's you kind of hit the nail on the head i think that's kind of why i fell in love with rugby as well as that culture when coming from american football where the coaches coaches the God, you, you don't, he's the above all end all. You, you don't, you don't, don't disagree. You, if he tells you something, yes, sir. Okay. Yes. You're like basically kind of in fear when I, and the culture of rugby is that it's like a collaboration. You, we're all working together and um, you, we all can have opinions that will be equally heard, uh, heard and taken in and taken into consideration. And yeah, it's, it's, that's what, kind of pretty cool as far as like coming from american football to rugby yeah yeah and um so you played against the all blacks a couple of weeks ago and what's the story now what are you up to at the moment so now i'm in france um i am living here pretty much from here on out i have a home here in the southeast of paris it's a rainy day as you can see this the light started to fade away here in the background you know classic european european weather you're used to rainy days uh here in autumn um but yeah so i had a contract with utah they still have my rights if i want to return to the mlr um but similar to when i left nola i'm just want to test the waters here in france my wife lives here we once covid hit we moved over here and i brought my dog over here as well we have a home um we're very settled here and i've always wanted to play rugby overseas and i think this is kind of the perfect time for me to um try and achieve that dream and i think uh, having a challenge for me is extremely important for my development and for me to continue to you know be a great rugby player and i think this is a challenge that i want to take on at this moment in my career it's a huge risk not you know similar to leaving nola i have a contract with the mlr and utah warriors and i'm coming here to france and saying i don't have a contract this season's already started player all the players have been chosen i want to sign as a medical joker here and play for a team that already has players established and they're in the middle of their season but it's just what I want to do at this point. It's the challenge I want to take on. It's a huge risk. Again, it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make, even harder than leaving NOLA, but it's it's one that I want to do. And I know if I want to continue to grow as a player and develop as a as a into one of the world's best scrum halves that I achieved to be, I knew this is a opportunity that I want to try and take on and a new challenge that I want to overcome unreal fair play and um so do you have an agent working for you yeah so i got a list of all the registered french agents uh from the french rugby website my wife's father helped me as well we printed them out and i sent about 100 to 120 emails to every agent saying hey i want to play in france here's my cv here's my highlight tapes these are my ambitions this is how i plan to reach those goals and ambitions 
and I sent it off and I probably heard back from maybe six or five of them saying, Hey, we may have some interest. Let's stay in touch throughout the season. Um, so through that process, I really wasn't getting much feedback at all. Those six people kind of went to the wayside and I had a friend, uh, an old teammate, Dion Mike obviously, you know, he went to Lindenwood, played in the MLR for a few years. It was a capped Eagle. He had an agent who went to Lindenwood as well, a good friend of ours. And he got Dion his contract um, here in the south of France. Um, so I thought that would be a, a good agent to sign with. And since he's already had one or two players that play in France, um, and he's, they found success here and they found a club, I figured that would be a good avenue for me as I know him personally. And I know he has got players into the Pro D2 and with a good team and with a good setup. But um, at first, I, I didn't think I was going to get an agent at all. You know, I sent 100 emails, six replied, and they all kind of fell off to the wayside. But now that I have an agent and I have a few caps, I'm getting reached out by some of those agents. So, I mean, but since I'm signed with my agent, with, with Brandon, our uh, Lindenwood alumni, um, I've been working with him and we're, we're working here in France. Good stuff. Good stuff. There's an age, he is an agent in France, put you in touch with someone in France now. And that person is like a French person reaching out. Yes. Yeah, so he works with a represent a man named Eric. Eric is a French registered agent. Um, I spoke with him today and he's walked me through the process of what, um, signing as a medical joker would look like what's the timeline and what do I need as far as an administration role or visas and since I'm married to a French citizen what that visa would be when I need to get it how quickly I need to get it what's the avenue of going about getting that visa and how it'll help me um, sign with the team quicker um, rather than not having that visa or signing a certain con, you know, just helping yeah, me yeah. through the whole, the whole, uh, the whole process. Cause a lot of that stuff as a player can kind of go over our head or be overwhelming. Cause it's a, especially in a new environment in a new country in a language that I don't really speak very well. So it's yeah. definitely nice to have a little guidance along the way. Yeah. There's so much that goes into it, isn't there? Like move visas and all that stuff. I know getting visas in America and getting visas in Canada. It's like, it's such a process. Like, sorry, sir. You forgot your I-22, uh, uh part four, section seven form. Um, we're going to need you to, we're going to send it to you. You need to sign it, send it back, get the paper. And, uh, we'll circle back with you in, uh, two months. So. Yeah. No, the worst was when I was going in and out of the States, like as a, you wouldn't know, but as a foreigner going into the States, like I remember I had all my papers in line, but I would be like shitting it. Like these guys are like these customs or whatever you call them in the, at the airports, they're like grilling you. And you're just like, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, just going to study. Um, no, I'm not doing that. And it's yeah. Nerve wracking. But anyway. Yeah, no, I understand. Last time Diana and I went to the U.S., same thing. She was working on her green card, and they basically held her here in France until. So I left her. I said goodbye at the airport, and oh. she got she stayed here in France, and I went back. So yeah, I, I I know how I know how difficult it is. Now it's the opposite way. I'm getting stuck at airports and yeah, having to tell them oh, I'm just. I'm trying to play rugby. Please let me in. <laughs> yeah, I just want to play some rugby. Yeah. Let yeah. me in. Yeah, exactly. And do you speak any French? Je parle français un peu. Je étudie tous les jours, but c'est difficile. Nice, nice. When did you start? So when you were with Diane, did yeah. you start telling her to speak French a bit to you? Yeah, well, I was just saying, I study every day, but it's 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 a bit difficult. And uh, But I speak a little bit. And um, no, when I first met Diane, but we, you know, I didn't have any, like, idea to come over here and play rugby in France. I think it was about a year or so ago. She was like, why don't you learn French? Like, I'm pretty disappointed <laughs> you haven't learned French now. I'd like for you to learn. So I was like, 
All right, there's a bit of fire under my ass here. I better start learning, but uh, she doesn't have enough patience to speak, listen to my terrible French. So I just study every day and I take classes and you know, I just I'm trying to improve as quickly as possible as I'm making this transition and being with the club and with the team and uh, being fully immersed is, is will improve that. Yeah, drastically. 100%. So when you're... I know French people don't really like English being spoke. So when you're out, um, out getting in the shops and stuff, it's all your Kansas City French. <laughs> yeah, my Kansas City French to the max. But when I'm out with like friends and whatnot, after after they have a few beers, they get a little bit of liquid courage to try and speak English. So they're on their French English, and I'm on my Kansas City French. It works out nice, pretty well. Nice. Unreal. Well, hey, best of luck. Um, yeah, hopefully get signed up soon. And uh, that's that's really cool that you're taking that shot and, uh, yeah, looking to better yourself. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, congratulations to you on all this success. Number one rugby <laughs> podcast in Canada. <laughs> home of rugby. Yeah, home of rugby. And then uh, uh, what, you're in the top 10 for, for Ireland. So yeah. congratulations on all the success, man. I'm super happy. Oh, cheers, appreciate Yeah, it's pretty random. I just like literally found out there were charts and then like it was like clicked in. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then whatever. But um, no, really appreciate that. And hey, it's unreal watching you um, yeah, kick on and play in the biggest stadiums in the world against the biggest players that, uh, yeah, that player that I didn't pick, what, five, six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no worries i was a bit of a rascal back then so i don't blame you i don't blame you yeah that that makes two of us <laughs> but no thanks again i appreciate it man it was good catching up and uh man best of luck with your with your season and ucb and yeah it's good to see you cheers bud a lot of hours go into making this podcast each week if you enjoy listening to the pod and would like to support me in making it and making sure that it keeps coming out, I have a Patreon page and there's a supporters tier. You can sign up, it's monthly, and I don't know what currency you're in, but it'll be a very, very small amount. But that support would mean so, so much to me. Also, if you're an ambitious player or someone who's interested in self-development, if you're a coach and you want to help your players on the mental side of the game, I have a tier called the first 15 and on this tier you'll get extra podcasts from me based around mental skills, sports psychology that'll help you become more confident, more accountable, develop stronger self-belief and give you tools to deal with adversity. I sometimes put out bite-sized like shorter versions of these Patreon only podcasts so you can listen into them to get an idea. And there's a third tier one-on-one uh, -on -one mentorship tier for if you want to do exactly that work one-on-one -on -one with me so that I can help you become the player that you know you can be and achieve your goals lastly if you're a coach or involved with a team and you think it's important for players to be confident have self-belief be mentally strong send me a dm on instagram or twitter at offfield rugby and we'll chat about what I can do to help your team become exactly that Hope you enjoyed this episode of the pod. As I mentioned in the intro, Baska is the hardest working player that I've ever coached and he's also a good friend. So I'm really thrilled to see him getting his rewards for all the graft over the years. So I went to Lindenwood as a player coach in 2016 when I was 23. And I was originally an assistant coach over the forwards and defense. But then about three months after I arrived, the head coach of the team left to take the USA U20s job. And at the same time, I became ineligible to play on the team because I had done my undergraduate degree abroad and the coach didn't know that rule before he recruited me. So I was pretty frustrated at the time. But then because of that, both things, I was essentially made interim head coach of the team. And as I mentioned in the pod, I'd only really coached the Lansdowne under 15s before. But nevertheless, I absolutely loved it. I was thrown in at the deep end coaching guys my age and older and really enjoy the responsibility. I think to grow you need to be a little bit in over your head and out of your comfort zone. We think that we want progress incrementally with little steps to 
kind of move on when we feel that we're completely ready for it. But often it's best to be just out of your depth because if you're passionate about what you're doing, you'll make it work. You'll find a way and you'll get better. That year with Linda Wood, we lost the playoffs to Life University, who were a really good team and went on to win the national championship. And we were probably the third best collegiate team in the States. Basco was on that team and there were four other guys that have gone on to play with the US Eagles. Dion Mikesell, Lorenzo Thomas and both Malon Aljabori and Chance Wengluski went to the 2019 World Cup with the Eagles. A few of the guys now are also playing in the MLR. Nick Feeks and Christian Rodriguez who I've chatted with previously on the pod and also Gabba Farley who's playing with the Austin Gilgronies. Coaching that team was a brilliant experience for me and it was then that I really realised how much I enjoyed coaching. If you enjoyed this episode and are listening on Apple Podcasts, would you please take 30 seconds to leave a rating and a review? That has a big impact on the Apple algorithm and what it does is it'll push the podcast organically to people when they're searching for rugby podcasts. So that small action has a really big impact on helping the podcast grow organically. So I would be really, really grateful if you would do that. Thanks, Emil, for clicking in. Really appreciate it, as always. Cheers.